0: if you like what you're listening to, support this podcast on Patreon. Patreon Patreon.com, search Phil Dawson, or find a link in the show notes and join up. It's very much appreciated. Thank you for listening. Chapter 14, Night Moods. Tonos picked out a white wine from the larder's private stock, which the palace cook assured him was the finest vintage the Corliss Vineyards had produced in a 100 years. Still, Urza's apprentice felt more like a spy than a scholar with a jug of wine. As an afterthought, he picked up his Yarrow Wood Serpent, the one that had pressed Urza years ago. He wound the toy's spring, set the latch, and put the coiled wooden snake in his pocket. Off across the city, the midnight bell was tolling. Servants would be clearing the banquet by now, and those revelers not capable of making it back to their quarters would be rolled to a convenient corner and covered with a blanket until morning. Urza and Kayla left arm in arm, their heads bent together in conversation. Mishra had completed one last dance with his men, then bade them return to the encampment. He and Ashnod would be staying at the quarters provided in the palace. At the time, Taunos thought that the availability of soft beds and running water had something to do with that decision. After talking to Ashnod, Taunos had stopped drinking the nabis. However, the other drink being offered was a thick, syrupy coffee served in small cups. The mixture turned his stomach slightly and left him feeling nervous. At least Taunos hoped that it was only the coffee that the nabis that had unsettled his stomach. Taunos paused at the hallway leading to the guest quarters, then changed direction, heading instead for the orniary at the far end of the palace. It was only past midnight. Urza would still be awake and could tell him what to look for in particular when inspecting the metallic beast. The apprentice arrived to discover Kayla quietly backing out and closing the door of the orniary. Watching into the workshop as she did so, she gave a small jump when she saw Tano standing there, then raised a finger to her lips. "'He's resting,' she whispered. "'It's early for him,' said Tanos quietly. "'It's been a long day,' she said." and a good one for him. Yes, said Tanos, He and his brother seemed to be getting along. Kayla pushed a loose strand of hair back and a small smile broke across her face. Yes, that, she said. Among other things, in any event, I don't think you should disturb him for a little while. Tanos nodded, suddenly aware that he was carrying a bottle of white wine with him. Fortunately, Kayla did not say anything about it. Regardless, he shifted the jug slightly behind him and asked, About the, uh, Discussion you two had earlier? Kayla shrugged and moved away from the door. We've talked. We had a good talk. And what did he say? Asked Tonos. Kayla hesitated for a moment, then said, He didn't say no. Tonos gave a sage nod. Well, that's a start. A good start, agreed Kayla. Now I think we both have other places to be at the moment. Tonos blushed slightly Of course, the queen had seen the bottle and made the assumption he had some late-night rendezvous. Tomorrow, he would tell her the truth of the matter and the nature of the dragon engine. For the moment, he merely bowed and retreated back toward the guest wing. The guest quarters consisted of a separate wing of the palace of Krug, and Ashnod and her master had been placed on separate floors, each in a huge encampment of suites. A hand-picked group of servants, known for their open ears and shut mouths, had been assigned to the wing, along with a number of loyal guards. The Falaji were allowed to keep their own bodyguards, with the understanding that they too would be under guard. After the second night, Mishra had dismissed his own guards as a sign of his trust in their hosts. The arrangements were very Krugian in nature. Each offer of benefice concealed some implicit method of control. Tanos wondered how much of it was Urz's doing and decided that there was little involving his brother's visit that the chief artificer was not aware of. The guards raised their short pikes to let him pass. Tanos knocked and the unlatched door opened beneath his knock. Ashnod was working at the table fitting wires around an animal skull which had been affixed to her dark wooden staff. She held up a hand as Tonos entered. One moment, she said, and looped a small strand through the skull's nostrils. There, done, she looked up. There was a curious fire in her eyes that Tonos had seen before. He had seen it in Urz's eyes when he was working on a new refinement of an invention, in the mirror when he himself was helping the chief artificer. Ashnod blinked, and the fire banked for a moment but now that Tonos had seen it in its full glory, he could still detect it. "'Just a little project I've been puttering with,' she said, setting the staff aside. Tonos looked at the staff and noted that the animal skull fits snugly over the end. "'Anything you need help with?' he offered. Ashnod shook her head. "'Just a craft to keep my hands busy.' Then her eyes lit up. "'Ah, you've brought the wine. I'll get the goblets. We'll do a toast, and then take the jug with us to the engine.' Tonos set the wine down on the table and seated himself at the bench. I hope that this is not too late. Not late at all, said Ashnod, saluting the other apprentice with a pair of brass cups. Their stems crossed and clenched in her small fist. I'm used to working on Mishra's time. He's up early and to bed very, very late. The chief artificer is much the same, said Tanos, pouring the wine. I've learned to catnap. Ashnod took her cup. I never could do that, but that thick coffee they drink in the desert, sanduck, works for me. "'One cup and I can stay awake for a day and night. "'Then I fall into a coma from exhaustion.' "'Tanos rubbed the back of his neck. "'He had no less than four of the small cups at dinner. "'Ashnot raised her goblet. "'A toast to the madmen who are our masters.' "'Tanos blinked. "'Madmen?' "'Ashnot lowered her cup slightly. "'To Mishra and Urza?' she suggested. "'To the brothers' artificers,' responded Tanos and returned the toast. "'Both took a sip of the wine. "'Tanos had never cared for the smell or taste of white wine.' But after the heavily spiced meal and pungent drinks, it was a godsend. Ashnod took the seat opposite the tawny-haired apprentice. So you don't think our masters are mad? Well, divinely inspired sometimes, said Taunos. But mad? There's a fine line between the two, noted Ashnod. Can we say that the gods or madness control them? How many times has your Urza suggested something completely irrational only to be proven correct? Taunos shrugged. I always assumed he had a reason for his actions, even if he did not share it with me. Humph, said Ashnod. I thought it was a tradition that apprentices always complained about their masters. You were a toy maker, I hear. Didn't you complain about the master toy maker then? Well, the master toy maker of Jorlin was my uncle, so I never, said Tonos. then stopped as Ashnod broke out in peals of laughter. Ashnod must have read the disappointment in Tonos's face because she quickly cut her chuckling short. You sound like a baby duck. "'I was following along behind its mother duck. "'Such loyalty is so sweet. "'So your first master was a relative, and your new master is...' "'Tanos shrugged. He's "'Urza, he knows more than anyone else I've ever met.' "'Ashnod looked at Tanos and said in a low voice, "'God's below, you're serious, aren't you?' "'Tanos shrugged again. "'Sure, why well, have a mass, a superior who doesn't know more than you do?' "'But you know things he doesn't, right?' said Ashnod, motioning her with her now empty cup. Well, yes, said Tanos, pouring the wine for her, and then as an afterthought, topping off his own goblet. But of the important matters, he knows more than I do. And that's why we stay within them? They know more than we do? said Ashnod. In part, said Tanos, leaning back. A small part. I mean, Urza's demanding and precise and hard to follow sometimes when he's hot in an idea. Mishra's the same way, said Ashnod. And you get the idea that when he explains something to you, it's as if he's reining himself in, choosing simple words and small ideas that you can understand. And he expects that you keep up with them. Tonos chuckled. Now, that's Urza sometimes. You saw the wind chamber in the Orniary? Urza had it built so students could prove their modifications of the Ornithopters would not work, saving him the trouble of explaining it, and then the trouble of building a full working model. A non-working model? said Ashnod. And Tonos smiled at that. Like I said earlier at the feast, Mishra really envies the sense of place that your brother has. Big palace, school of assistance, regular supplies. She paused for a moment, then added, Beautiful wife. Tanos responded, There are things in Mishra's life that Urza envies. There's the dragon engine, of course. He does? said Ashnod, looking over her cup. Urza said that? Once you get away from machinery, Urza doesn't say much, replied Tanos. "'But you understand his moods, his looks, what he talks about, "'and more importantly, what he doesn't talk about.' "'Ditto for Master Mishra,' said Ashnod. "'Or rather, he talks, but he avoids certain subjects, "'and you can tell what's on his mind by what he doesn't talk about. "'It appears like a genie in the center of a whirlwind.' "'Right?' said Tanos, "'And Urza feels that Mishra has a greater sense of freedom sometimes. "'Urza feels that he has to be so responsible for everything, "'and the desert offers freedom. "'What's so funny?' "'Nothing,' said Ashnod, stifling a giggle. "'But it's amusing that the Falaji are currently in the iron grip of a petulant child-man. "'If you think the desert means freedom, you've never met the Kadir.' "'I think Urza would much rather be working on artifacts than trying to support a nation,' said Taunos. "'Agreed for Mishwa as well,' said Ashnod, raising her goblet in another toast. "'It's the love of artifacts that binds them together, and probably us to them as well. "'There's something about getting beneath the skin of a new device.' Understanding the new concept, agreed Tanos, Unlocking its inner secrets. Understanding the design philosophy behind it. Feeling its power. Comprehending its purpose, said Tanos, And expanding its abilities. Ashnod laughed again. And it was a relaxed laugh. There are so very few of us, you know. I'm one of the few that can talk to Mishra and understand him. I feel much the same way with Urza, said Tanos as an afterthought. And with you as well. I won't try to use small words, said Ashnod. "'I'll try to keep up,' said Taunos. "'It's all so difficult,' said Ashnod. "'I mean, I feel doubly walled away from everything. "'Firstly, a powerful woman among the Falaji is an exception, not the rule. "'And second, being an intelligent being among the desert people is so... "'frustrating?' suggested Taunos. "'Exactly,' said Ashnod. "'Pour me another.' "'We should see the engine,' said Taunos. "'There's time,' she said. "'Time for everything in the world.' Tonos poured and said, "'I went back to Jorlin a few months ago "'and was telling my aunts and uncles what I was doing, "'and they were very polite and appreciative, "'but I don't think they understood my work at all.' "'Well, at least they were appreciative,' said Ashnod. "'I get hostile stares from the Suwardi, "'but it was the same at Zigan. "'At first I thought it was because I was a woman, "'but then people were distanced "'because I was smarter than everyone else. "'It's frustrating to be smart. "'It separates you from the rest of the populace.' "'It is difficult being different,' Tonos admitted." And I bet the continual work keeps you away from your family, your friends, said Ashnod. Your wife? I'm, uh, not married, said Thanos. It wasn't you I was talking about, said Ashnod. But you don't even have a regular young lady, I bet. Well, I have been busy said Tanos defensively. I rest my case, said Ashnod, slapping the tabletop with the fleshy part of her palm. Just like Mother Duck Urza, you're working for the most powerful man in Yosha, and you don't have a girl flocking to you? Tonos shrugged. What about you? Among the Falaji? Ha! <laughs> she slapped the table again. I really think that they have a breeding program to produce such oafs. What about Mishra? asked Tanos. Ashnod's chuckle died. Mishra? she said. Her eyes grew a bit misted. Early on, yeah, but it wasn't as much of a relationship as it was a power thing, sort of who can control who, and it got old fast, and soon he was back to worrying about his precious engines. I don't like playing second to machinery. Tanos nodded, so there had been a relationship between Mishra and his pupil, but that was apparently in the past. But there was something else in her words that he almost missed. Engines? asked Tanos. Pardon? Ashnod blinked. "'You said he worries about his engines,' said Tonos. "'Plural?' Ashnod pulled up short. "'There's the dragon engine, and the Great Wayne. It's pulling. "'The Falangi call that engine a war machine, "'but Mishra told everyone not to refer to it as such during the talks. "'It might make the Nioshans nervous.' Uh "'Aha,' said Tonos, filing away that bit of information for later. "'Perhaps a tour of the war machine was in order as well. "'Tonos decided to push a little further.' They obviously weren't going to get to the dragon engine until the wine was gone, and perhaps not even then. So does Mishra have the power to enforce a peace? If he wants it, yeah, said Ashnod. The Kadir will whine and moan, but most of the lesser sheiks already back Mishra. The tribal chieftains want it all one way or another, either the glories of war or the bliss of peace, without a middle ground. They're like machines that way, easy to command and control. So what does Mishra truly want, said Tanos. I mean... Urza can help him with establishing his own school, if that's his goal. Ashnod shook her head. The Falaji way is not to accept aid or gifts or charity. It's to take what they want through trade or force of arms or guile, whatever else is required. The old warlord figured that out, but I don't think good queen Kayla has a clue. Tonnels frowned. Mishra's not Falaji. He's Argivian, like Urza. Ashnod countered. Mishra has lived among the Falaji and come to lead them. He understands their ways better than Urza understands the oceans. Now, Mishra at his heart is jealous of his brother and wants what belongs to him. Tanos thought of his discussion with Kayla earlier in the day. The stone, Ashnod nodded. The stone. Mishra told me the one he carried was once a larger stone, split in two, though with his brother's actions, did Urza tell you the same? Tanos worked his mouth, but no sound came out. We never talked about it and never thought to ask. Baby duck, spat Ashnod. Mishra envies his brother, his soft life and laboratory and beautiful wife. That's true, but what he really wants is that stone. Is it worth trading away the sword marches for it? asked Taunos. It's worth talking about trading the Suardi marches for it, laughed Ashnod. The Falaji get what they want by war or guile, and if anything's gone well, he's already succeeded. Ash and I realized at once that she had said too much and put a hand over her mouth. At least she said, I shouldn't say anything else about that. Diplomatic secrets and all that. We should go see the Dragon Engine. Tanos rose, his mind running through the events of the past day, meeting Kayla outside the Orniary, the fact she was doting on Urza at the banquet, where earlier they were going at it, hammer and tongs, the fact that she was insistent Tanos get along and not bother Urza. They both had places to be, she had said. He didn't say no, she had said. I I have to go, Tanos said. Ashnod rose across from him. We have all night. I I think I need to talk to Urza, he said. It's late, even for Urza, said Ashnod. Perhaps if I accompanied you? Hopefully not too late, muttered Tanos and paused by the door. He turned and said, You'll have to stay here, I'm afraid. This has been a very interesting evening and I hope that I'm wrong about what I'm thinking because I'd like to talk to you again later and with that he was gone, and the short pikes of the guards were visible as the door swung shut. Ashnod shook her head behind him, cradling her brass goblet in one hand. Outside, Taunos was shouting for the guards to find Ambassador Mishra. She said too much, she thought, and too soon. She shook her head and drained the goblet of the last of the wine. Then she went to her jewelry box and removed a pair of earrings. She pried the iridescent stones from them and put the skull-headed staff back on the table. Slowly, but with practiced skill, She started to fit the small power stones into the skull's eyes. Taunus had to shake Urzo awake. The chief artificer did not rouse when his apprentice burst into the orniary, nor when he called his name. There was an overturned ower of pungent wine on the floor, but only a thin stream issued from its wide mouth. Similarly, a pair of half-empty goblets left sweating circles on the plans of the work desk. Urzo was curled up tightly in a blanket, snoring softly on the daycot he would use when working late or when fighting with Kayla. Tonos shook Urza's shoulder, hard, and the artificer was awake in a moment, sitting bolt upright, his eyelids beating rapidly to blink back to the sleep. Tonos, wh- is-, is there fire? Wh- what's wrong? Beneath the blanket, Urza was half-dressed, and those clothes he was wearing were bunched together in odd shapes. Tonos looked at Urza and said, Sir, your stone. Instinctively, Urza's fingers went to his chest, where the stone normally hung. They closed on empty air. Immediately he raised the hand to touch his neck, but the chain that hung there was missing. "'The stone!' he said, the last dregs of sleep banished from his eyes, replaced by a hot fire. "'Where is it?' He immediately began tearing up the bedcloths and blankets. "'Sir!' said Thanos. I ran into your wife as she was leaving here. Kayla, said Urza, looking up, then his face turned stern. Kayla, he said again, a dagger's edge in his voice. Urza became a flurry of action, gathering his banquet regalia into some semblance of order. He grabbed the cape, looking for loops, then abandoned it entirely, cursing and flinging it across the room. Then he was at the door, bellowing for Taunos to follow. Taunos was taller than Urza and should have been able to catch up with the smaller man easily. But Urza moved as if he was an ornithopter incarnate gliding through the halls at inhuman speed, passing the guards like they were no more than ghosts. Tanos was himself stopped by guards from the guest wing, who informed him that Mishra was not in his quarters. A full search of the wing revealed nothing, they added. Would Tanos want them to seal the palace and send a runner to the Falaji encampment to determine if Mishra had returned there? Tanos hastily agreed, but by the time he concluded this brief conversation, Urza had vanished ahead of him. There were shouts again from the royal quarters as Tonnos approached, but this time... Both of the voices were male, and booming. In addition, this time the door was open, nearly ripped from its hinges, and Tonos thought it opened with a sharp kick as opposed to a twist of the latch. From the doorway issued an ever-changing spectrum of light. Tonos paused in the doorway and raised a hand to peer past the light. It issued from Urza's might stone, and from Mishra's gem as well, forming the poles of a magnet, with the light itself acting like metal filings stretched between them. Urza had regained his stone, and now was snarling at his brother across the room. Mishra was shouting something else incomprehensible back at him, the warm smile of the Falaji ambassador replaced with a feral snarl. Their words were lost in an angry humming of energy between the two stones. Between them, against the far wall, was Caleb Bin Krug. Taunos noticed that Urza was not the only one who had dressed in a rush. Mishra's clothes were in an equal disarray, and the queen had a sheet wrapped around her torso, clutched at her chest. She saw Taunos and her face shone with relief, She said something that Taunos could not hear over the throbbing pulsings of the battling stones. She took a step forward, toward him. Taunos threw up his hands and shouted for her to stay back. Whatever was happening between the stones and between the brothers involved energies he neither recognized nor trusted. It could have been Taunos' shout or wave of his arms, or it could have been seeing Kayla stepping almost into the energies between the two stones. Or it could have been a moment of weaknesses on Urza's part, but Urza dropped his stone. Only for an instant, and he still gripped it in his hand, but he dropped his stone, and it was enough. A violent rainbow of energy spewed forth from Mishra's stone and slammed into Urza. The lanky chief artificer was bodily lifted up by a force of the blow and flung backward, against the armoire, breaking the doors of the cabinet inward from the impact. Then suddenly the energy from Mishra's stone went out. It was as if those within the room were suddenly plunged into the dark. So great was the magnitude of difference in the light, Talon's blinked and started toward where he knew Urzra lay, someone heavy, burly, Mishra, he later realized, slammed into him, brushing past him and out the door. Kayla was at Urz's side already, crying as she knelt next to the prostrate form. Urz's eyes were open but showed only whites, and his breath was shallow and frothy. Still clenched in his hand was his mightstone, a rainbow of colors leaking between his fingers. The temple amulets, said Tonos to Kayla. The ones Urza made. Do you have one here? Perhaps we can... Kayla was nodding, but neither had time to finish their thoughts. The stone clenched in Urza's hand began to pulse more, to flash through the spectrum and into ranges that Tonos felt more than saw. Slowly, Urza's other hand raised and grasped the stone, and his breathing became more regular. His eyes closed, and when they opened again, they were normal. No, they were not normal, Tonos realized. They were filled with emotion, filled with rage. Urza got up. Kayla tried to restrain him, to tell him that he should rest until the temple priests arrived, but he brought up an arm to ward her off. He brought it up too hard and too fast, for he knocked Kayla with it. She sprawled backward, and Tanos rose with his superior, putting a hand down on Urza's shoulder. Urza battered the offered hand away. Where is he? he snarled. His hair was a tangle, and Urza looked more like a madman than an artificer. Tanos said nothing, but looked at the door. Urza was striding toward it at once. Kayla shouted after him, but he did not look back. Kayla was sobbing now, her tears staying the sheet gathered in front of her. I tried, she said, then took a deep breath. I tried to do the best thing for my country, Tanos. Tanos could not think of anything to say, but there were more shouts in the hallway. Tanos helped Kayla to her feet. Get something on and bring guards, he said, and he was out of the doorway as well. There was a great clamor toward the guest wing, and Tanos thought that Urza had found his brother all too quickly. There were shouts and screams and an unearthly flickering of light. He ran for the wing, hoping to prevent any fatalities. Instead of Urza and Mishra, he found Ashnod. She was wielding the staff as she had been working on earlier. Now its eyes glowed with the eldritch nature of power stones, and lightning coursed along the wires that had been spun along the skull. There were several of the guards down along the hallway, most of them clutching their heads and moaning. Ashnod was swinging the staff back and forth, the gold-lit skull trailing a shadow of color. She was unharmed as of yet, but sweat cascaded down her neck and shoulders. The leader of the guards was preparing a massed attack, but Tonals put a hand on his shoulder and indicated that he wanted to try to disarm the woman first. Tonals stepped into full view, hands raised and empty. Ashnod paused for a moment, then barked, "'I want to leave now! Is there a problem?' Tonals tried to smile, conscious that he looked as insincere as he felt. "'There's been a bit of an incident,' he said. "'I'm afraid you're going to have to stay for a while.' "'I'm afraid not,' said Ashnod, and brought her staff up, the skull head oozing golden fire." The blow hit Taunos square in the stomach and he could feel the pain rush from the center of his extremities. His stomach heaved and he felt the bilious rise of vomit in his throat. Still he remained on his feet and grasped at his cloak, trying to find something that would break the effect of the staff's energies. His hand closed around the coil wooden snake that he had in his pocket. He pulled it out, thumbing the winding latch opening as he did so. Stars danced in front of his eyes, but he had a good enough idea of Ashnod's position to throw the snake at her. The wooden serpent flew through the air, uncoiling, rattling and hissing as it did so. Ashnod shouted something and raised the staff higher against this new attack. Thanos was moving the moment Ashnod spared her attention from him. Charging forward, he tackled her, hard, in the midsection. The staff pinwheeled away in one direction, while the wooden snake scuttered in the other. Ashnod went down in a heap and the guards were there immediately, their short pikes pointed at her. Thanos kept his footing and towered over her, gasping for breath. Ashnod raised her now empty hands in surrender. Well, it turns out the baby duck has teeth, she said, slowly getting to her feet, the guards surrounding her. There are new surprises every day.